Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoyed today's program. We all know that Moses was a great man, used mightily by God for the accomplishment of his purpose. Have you ever noticed, though, that God did not use him until he was well beyond the peak of his natural strength and ability? In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter was also greatly used by the Lord, but not until after the Lord had subdued his natural strength and severely dealt with him and restricted him. What can we learn from the experience of these spiritual men as it relates to our life before Christ? And joining us for fellowship as we find ourselves with the children of Israel preparing to escape from Egypt is Dick Taylor. Dick, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks very much, Chris. It's really good to be with you to uh, see how the Lord takes them out of slavery. That's right. And we're going to be here traveling with the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. And a lot awaits us on this journey, Dick. That's right. Well, I think we're going to have another surprising message for our listeners today. We're going to look at the characteristic or trait that most equips or qualifies a person to be useful to God in the accomplishment of his purpose. Give us a hint, Dick, of where we're going, and also introduce the analogy that Witness Lee is going to use repeatedly that really illustrates this characteristic. These first two chapters of Exodus, Chris, are really excellent, and there is an underlying theme in these two chapters. A certain kind of life is needed for the fulfillment of God's purpose. This life that's needed is a life that preserves the life of God's people and also prepares the way for the Savior of God's people. And that's what we're going to see in this broadcast today. The children of Israel were in severe slavery. Their lives were extremely bitter. But the underlying theme of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that the Lord raises up and makes use of a certain kind of life to preserve his people and to prepare a Savior to deliver his people from that slavery for his purpose. And Dick, in this book specifically related to God's purpose, we're going to see two key elements in this first section. Let's join Witness Lee. In Exodus, the intention is not to show us any other kind of people but the people that God can use. Because in this book, the main purpose is to uh, carry out God's economy, to fulfill God's purpose. If we have ever read through this book with uh, full attention and under the light, we could see in this book God's intention was to have a people useful to him to build him a dwelling place even right in this age on this earth. So in this book, at the end was 
the tabernacle erected to be God's dwelling place. Not only so, in order to carry out such a purpose, there was the need of fighting. There was the need of an army. The children of Israel at the time when they got out of Egypt, they were formed as a kind of army. From the very beginning of God's redemption, fighting continued all the way through the journey in wilderness and all the way through Jordan until the good land. The fighting was still going on because so many enemies there needed to be subdued. In other words, the good land promised by God to them was occupied and possessed by God's enemy. So if they are going to enjoy that good land and to fulfill God's purpose to build up a temple for God as a testimony on this earth, they needed to fight to subdue the enemy and to clear up that good land from the usurping hand of the enemy. So to be used by God is, number one, to build up God's dwelling place on this earth. And number two, to fulfill such a purpose, there is the need to fight for God's interest against God's enemy. And this is what we mean to be useful to God. So this is the goal of this book. So at the beginning of this book, it does give us a picture. What can life could be useful to God? In other words, what kind of people God can use to fulfill his purpose in such a way? To defeat his enemy and to build up his dwelling place on this earth. What kind of life? I tell you, the female life. In our concept today, especially today, we would think it should be the male life. The males are good fighters. The females are weaker ones. We all have to see a useful life to God must not be a male one, but a female one. Dick, once we break through the surface of Exodus and see beyond the stories, it is really a book revealing God's purpose. Specifically in this book, presenting the corporate aspect of God's purpose, we're seeing his people must be built up as a dwelling place, seen by the tabernacle, and also as a fighting unit, an army to fight with God against his enemy. But Dick, as we promised the listeners today, the unique qualifier for these to be accomplished is not quite what we would expect naturally. What is God looking for in his people, Dick? He's looking for the female life. Isaiah 54, 5 says, Thy maker is thy husband, indicating that God's relationship with his people is, he is the male and we are the female. As the people of God, we should not usurp his headship but rather we should be people who are always depending upon him. This is what's meant by living the female life. 
Apparently, when you think of building something and you think of fighting someone, you think of a strong male life. But actually, the life that God uses for building, the life that God uses for fighting and defeating his enemy is the female life. Why? Because in principle, Christ himself is the unique male in the universe. And we, as his believers, should be his people who are always leaning on him, depending on him, and living by him. In this way, we are enabled to join him in his building, even to become part of his building. Well, who is he? He's the very life. He's the eternal life. The more we depend on him, the more we open to him, the more we're constituted with him, and we're even built together in him to be his enlargement. The female life is a life that doesn't usurp the headship, but rather depends on the husband as the very source of life. And how can you be a fighter? A proper fighter is one who leans on the unique victor and winner in this universe, and that's Christ. Christ has fought through, defeated every enemy. So for us to be proper fighters, we need to be those who live the female life, that is a life depending on him, calling on him, praising him, and one with him to allow the Lord to fulfill his purpose. His purpose is to have an army so that his enemy could be defeated. So then we go back to Genesis 1, which says God's desire is that he would be expressed through his image and he would be represented through his dominion over all things. So the female life is the life that is very useful to the Lord. And we see this in chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus. This matter of the fighting life, being associated with the female life, this is really opposite our natural concept. But the kind of fighting that we're engaged in in the Christian life requires a completely different strategy by the great general, doesn't it? It sure does, because he is the one who is the fighter. He's the champion. He's the winner. He's the victor. All he needs is some people who depend on him. In fact, if we try to fight independent of him, we end up becoming defeated because Satan is stronger than us. But we have one who is much stronger than Satan. Satan is a liar. He's a loser. He's in the lake of fire. We're God's people depending on Christ. This makes us a proper fighter. In fact, the best fighters are lovers. The overcomers in Revelation 12:11 it says they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. And these overcomers in Revelation 12 are fighters. Then the last phrase of that verse 11 says, and they loved not their soul life unto the death. They didn't love themselves. They loved someone else. They loved their Lord. They loved their head. They loved their husband. And a lover of Christ, who is the champion, becomes the best fighter. Well, Dick, let's go back to Witness Lee. We're going to stay with this picture of the female life. In Isaiah, the Lord says, Thy maker is thy husband. Whether you're male, you're female, you're old, you're young, as long as you are one of the children of Israel, you are a part of the wife. The husband was your maker, your creator, and your redeemer. And you all are just his wife. Females, you should not be the head. And you should not be independent. Because you don't have the headship. 
You have to live all the time a life depending upon someone, and that someone in shadow is your husband, Christ. On the one hand, he was under the headship of God, and on the other hand, he was the head of every man. Even today, the same thing. Christ, on the one hand, is under the headship of God, and on the other hand, he is the headship of every man. Now we come to our turn. We men should be, on the one hand, under the headship of Christ. On the other hand, we should be the head of the system. This is not a small job. It is not so easy. On the one hand, you are under a headship. On the other hand, you have the headship over others. This Christ was all the time under the headship of God, and at the same time, he was all the time the head of all his disciples. In the four Gospels, Christ was always under the headship of God the Father. He never was independent. He told us, out of himself, he can do nothing. He can do only the things out from the Father, because he was dependent upon the Father. He was under the headship. On the one hand, in the four Gospels, you could see this. Then, on the other hand, also in the four Gospels, you could see that Christ was always exercised his headship. He didn't allow Peter to do anything. You know the story. He dealt with Peter so strictly. All the time, Peter acted by a kind of independent life. Every time the Lord Jesus corrected him in the way that Peter had to realize Christ's headship, that Peter didn't have the headship. The headship was with Christ, and by that time, Peter was under Christ, and he should be under the headship. Jesus Christ was under the headship of God the Father. Well, Dick, as I mentioned, we're staying with this picture of the female life, dependent and under proper headship. Now, Witness Lee comes to the New Testament to use Christ in His living and in His training of the disciples to further support this principle. What is it that we see in Jesus that demonstrates the female life that we're talking about today? Two verses that show us clearly what we see in Jesus are John 5.30 and John 5.19. 5.30 says, I can do nothing from myself. Our dear Jesus, in his living on this earth, did nothing from himself, always depending on the Father. 5.19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing from himself except what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, this also the Son does in like manner. What we see in Jesus, Chris, is a person who was always depending on the Father for everything. He never did his own will. He was always depending on the Father for his will. He never spoke his own words. He never did his own works. In fact, I would say it was to the extent that he never did anything without depending on the Father. This is an awesome life, and this is why he is our wonderful model. He's our captain, 
He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we enjoy. He's the one that we desperately need because every one of us, by nature, because of the fall, is the walking embodiment of independence and rebellion. But our Jesus is a wonderful model, and today he's the life-giving spirit, and he's in us. And every time we turn to him and just say, Oh, Lord, I need you, this wonderful model gets applied to our life, and we're able to live because of him. So this wonderful Christ in the Gospels, we see, is a person who was always dependent on the Father because of his always being under the headship of the Father. Today, he's the life-giving spirit. He's within us, and he's waiting to be applied and enjoyed by us so that we could live out the same life and be the reproduction, expansion, and increase of himself. We need to turn our heart to this one who lived in constant obedience and submission and dependence on the Father. Dick, we've talked a lot, and of course, one of the great features of the Christian faith is this dual status that Christ has, initially uniquely God, then taking on humanity. In his divinity, he's the real and proper male life. That's true. In his humanity, he exhibited all of the fine characteristics of this female life. Even Satan's tempting of Christ as a man early in the Gospels in Matthew was to try to get him to assume the male status out of his humanity, and he wouldn't do it. That's true. You know, Chris, like you said in Matthew 4, that's a tremendous example. The Lord there, even in fighting the enemy, did not even depend on himself, but constantly depended on the Father. And he took the standing of a man, a man who was depending on God for everything. This was a real display of the dependent life and the life that's useful to God, even the life that's useful to God to defeat God's enemy. Now, this wonderful Christ today is the bread of life. As we eat him, enjoy him, we enjoy the same victory over Satan. Satan was put to shame by a person who was living a dependent life. Apparently, he was weak because he lived the female life, but actually he was strong. The more we depend on God as a human being, the more we are really strong because we're empowered by the very Christ himself. So God's enemy is defeated by those who live the female life, depending on the Lord for everything and loving him through everything. Satan is defeated by such a life. Well, Dick, not only Christ himself, but also those whom he loves and trains are brought into this vein. We're going to see that in our last section. Moses, at 40 years of age, he came out strongly independent to God, acting he was the real independent male there. Until another 40 years helped him to realize God could only use a female. It's not so easy to uh, train a male to live a female life. But, you see, eventually Moses was trained to be a female. Moses, as an old man, from 80 to 120, he lived just like a female. Only in one instant, he was not dependent upon God. That was, he got mad. He was upset by the children of Israel. And he smote the rock again. 
on his own. He acted again as a male. So that was the or he was not used by God. Rather, he offended God. Due to that, he lost the entry into the good land. In all his last 40 years, he lived a life depending upon God all the time. He was not the head. Today, all the readers of the Bible consider him the leader, but he himself never assumed to be the leader. When the children of Israel rebel against him, and he said, you are not rebelling against me, you are against God. He went to God, and he told God, this is your problem, it's not mine. I am not the head, you are the head, you are the husband. This was Moses' attitude. He lived a life dependent upon God all the time. Not only in the book of Exodus, even in the whole history of the church, you could see wherever and whenever there was such a life, a female life, right away God can do something. Everyone through the history that has ever been used by God was a female. In the Old Testament, whenever the children of Israel rebel against God, that was the time they assumed to be the husband. And they practiced a kind of divorce. They behaved as the husband. The New Testament tells us every believer should be a virgin to Christ. And even though himself, like us, his disciples, all what? As virgins. You know, the ten virgins? And our life should be the life of a virgin. A living behavior. We shouldn't be a male. He himself is a unique husband. And according to Ephesians 5, the church is a wife. So, in everything, the church must be dependent. The church is not a male. When we see the church, we better use the pronoun, her. But this shouldn't be just a term. In actuality, the church must live a life depending upon Christ, depending upon him all the time. Then, when she comes back, he will marry not husband. He will marry a bride. Dick, we have an example from the New Testament, that of Peter, and from the Old Testament, Moses, and then corporately, the children of Israel all brought through a similar kind of training to cultivate in them this proper female life. I think this really helps to put Ephesians chapter 5 in a very profound light. Most people know something about this chapter, but relate that to what we're talking about. Yeah, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church, indicating that the real position of the church is the female. So the kind of life we should live is the female life, that is, a life always depending on the Lord. Life is a matter of dependence. The principle of the tree of life is dependence. You're always depending on life. The principle of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, signifying Satan as the other source in this universe, is absolute independence, which is rebellion toward God. 
And what are we enjoying uh, here in Exodus? We're being brought to a life that always depends on the Lord, enjoys the Lord, and even lives because of the Lord. The female life, which brings us to the principle of the tree of life, that is a life of always depending on the Lord, you can't graduate from breathing. You can't graduate from eating. You can't graduate from drinking. Our Christ is everything to us as life. We must live the female life, a life dependent on him. So as the church, the female, we depend on him for everything. We've seen in many broadcasts the unsearchable riches of Christ. We can never graduate from this one who is life. Peter, on the other hand, he tried to graduate from life, depending on the Lord somewhat in Matthew 16, when he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But a few verses later, the Lord said, I have to go to the cross to die. Peter said, don't do that. Pity yourself, Lord. And Peter just right away went to the other tree and picked up the other principle of independence. He stopped being a female and became a male to stop the Lord from finishing his economy. The Lord was exercising to be so submissive to the Father to go to the cross. He also had the position to be the head, and he really straightened Peter up. He said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. And he said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. So he really perfected Peter. And the Lord did the same with Moses, just trying to train him through many of Moses' blunders to be a person after many failures who just depends on the Lord for everything. Related to the female life, the real crucial point is this. It's not a matter of how much we can do for the Lord. It's a matter of how much we depend on the Lord. Dick, that's a wonderful way to conclude this message and this sequence, this section on the female life. Today for Dick Taylor, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs consist of excerpts from Witness Lee's spoken ministry, along with our discussion and comments, and all focusing on God's heart's desire that we would enjoy Christ as the divine life for man. There are more than 1,700 programs like this one available online free of charge that you can download, stream live, or add to your podcast subscription. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. That's lsmradio.com. You can also reach us by email, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today. Where is Jesus Christ today? And does he really care? But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. The Lord in ascension is usually referred to as sitting at the right hand of God. But Stephen saw him standing there. This indicates that the Lord was greatly concerned for his persecuted one. Scripture, Acts 7, 55 and 56, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. 
For more information, visit lsm.org.